but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. We are recording at the start of the third set between Novak Djokovic and Stan Wawrinka. And Stan Wawrinka is up two sets to love on the world number one, number one seed defending champion. Novak Djokovic. Novak Djokovic, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's I just said mm. that Stan and Novak are playing and Stan is up two sets to love, so who else could it be? All right, like, turn it down. <laughs> Right now. <laughs> I expected Stan to make this a very competitive match, but I can't say that I saw him winning the first two sets. I was a bit surprised by that. And he went down a break immediately in the second set. He was down 3-love. Oh, right. Came back to win at 7-5. Mm -hmm. Djokovic has just held to start the third. We're recording at the kitchen table and looking at the TV while we, yeah. we record. So uh, hopefully we won't be too distracted. Novak is clearly not near his best at the moment he's making a lot of errors stan i mean stan is hitting like crazy like he probably hasn't played like this in literally years novak must really hate him like Why? how expand, could you how could expand, you not <laughs> like, expand and expound maybe not hate but i would be a bit annoyed that I, they have played many times and novak has won an overwhelming majority of those matches but in certain key finals Stan snatched that Roland Garros title from Novak, which he eventually won the following year. He won a U.S. Open title against Novak. He wrote that open letter at the beginning of this year, very harshly criticizing the way the Gimmelstab thing was being handled on the ATP board and player council. Specifically Gimmelstab or just how the council was being run? Yeah, wasn't it all of that? Oh. Anyway. Anywho. This uh, this first week of the U.S. Open has been wild, which we say about every slam at this mm. point. But I feel like this one has had uh, a decent, well-balanced mix of fucker and fabulous. I feel like on the men's side, a lot of these guys are kind of heated. Like, I, their tone is very pointed right now. Roger Federer got a bit testy in press earlier this week when asked about scheduling and you know whether he gets preferential treatment or whatever and he said i am tired of this shit what is what i feel like that's number 20 on the mm -hmm. notable things that it was happened. just why are you leading with this because it was funny okay. how he said shit <laughs> it that. was very it was like that one word just jumped out he said no you know i don't give my input nobody asks me what i want it's about the tournaments and the tv it's whatever they want mm -hmm. i think he i mean let's be real Obviously, Federer gets treatment that will make them the most money, but also they want to keep him happy because he is such a an important person in tennis. Oh, Novak just retired. What? Novak just retired. He got broken by Vavrinka, and oh my he God. retired. Okay. Wow. I, well, he got treatment on the, the set change, right? I guess the shoulder is much more serious than we thought. Well, That's yeah. pretty shocking. I can't remember the last time Novak retired in a major. Uh, wow. <laughs> so Stan is through to play Medvedev in the quarterfinals. Mm -hmm. And that's that. As it stands, with the loss, 
should Nadal win the tournament, he'll be only some 640-something points behind Novak for world number one. Right. So you've thought about this potentiality. I did. (laughs) As soon as he went down two sets to love, I thought about Mm -hmm. it. Well, a lot of stuff has to happen before that. Yes. It just struck me as so wild that we could be in this position for number one to be a thing the rest of the year because Mm -hmm. Novak was so far and away ahead of the field. Right. Now... Anyway, I was saying we had an agenda. We're starting with what started the tournament. The big kickoff to the 2019 US Open was the rivalry. The rivalry. (laughs) Listen... I have no, I have zero interest, negative interest in debating whether this is a rivalry or what. I don't care. I don't care what you call it. A lot of the perennial people on Twitter who show up just when the US Open is on, the influencers who are trying to get engagement when Serena's playing, but they don't know anything about tennis, they, I saw the same tweet thousands of times. It's like, do you call this a rivalry? It's like, yes, we have been there. I mean, Can we move on? I was writing Jesus. that on Tumblr five years ago. Right. Like, <laughs> we get it. <laughs> How many people need to say it? So, as it turned out, it was a lovely tonic for Serena Williams. Everything about Maria Sharapova's game fits squarely into her wheelhouse. There's nothing that she does that bothers her, that troubles her. Chrissy Everett now famously says that... Everything Maria Sharapova does, Serena does better. Right. There's nothing that she can do to trouble Serena, provided Serena's healthy and playing well. And the problem for Maria is that her game necessarily makes Serena play better. Because Mm. she doesn't mix up shots. She doesn't bring her into net. She doesn't vary pace, vary spins. The spin thing being a really important part of it, because when the ball is bouncing at higher levels at slower pace, but with like higher revolution on the ball. That That's a different look and trickier for somebody like Serena. But when you're being fed the same same speed, same trajectory, all match, it's, that's just, it's what she wants. Yeah. And of course, the mental component is a huge part of it. Sharapova's fans are just apoplectic that Serena always, always gets up for these matches emotionally. And she has since 2005. Like, this, it seems like a mission for her. So that's part of it. But how can you be annoyed by that? I understand that you would like a few easy matches or a few off days, but she just doesn't have off days against Sharapova. How can who be mad at that? The how fans. can Sharapova fans yeah. be mad at that? Like, like, why, like you're you... mad because she's really that good? <laughs> wouldn't you be pressed? If so, your fave, who is a five-time Slam champion, who... Forget about how you feel about her. Will likely be a Hall of Famer, one of the greats of the game. Mm-hmm, when you factor course. in yeah. her influence around the world, right? Like she's no punk. She's a career grand she's slam. She's accomplished. Like... She is good at tennis. Mm-hmm. You stand somebody like that, and she started her career really, in effect, with a huge win against Serena in two thousand four at at Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. This is this is this is gonna press you. It's gonna cause pressitude. It might, but like at but, the same time, where is the plan B? Like you've been trying the same stuff for uh, the past fourteen years against Serena, and it hasn't worked. You tried taking four to sixteen meldoniums before playing her. Oh my god, that didn't work. <laughs> I, those are her words, not mine. And okay, so then ask Maria that. 
Well, right. don't ask the fans that. But the fans, I'd be, I'd be mad as hell. Well, the point is, I wouldn't be a fan, and I'm not a fan. Okay, this but, is some <laughs> wild logic that's not making any sense. I'm just saying, Sharapova doesn't have a lot of options aside from her normal game. We've okay. known that for many years. Like, I went back and I watched the highlights, the extended highlights of the 2004 Wimbledon final, and I came to a conclusion that maybe other people have come to in the past. So I don't want to present it as something new here, but one of the narratives that we keep hearing is that, wow, Serena lost those two matches against Maria in 2004 and vowed never again to lose to Maria. And that's why. I think Sherpovo even wrote about it in her book, saying that she mm. over, somebody overheard Serena saying, I'm never going to lose to that bitch again or something like that. Right. Conjecture. Which, which by the way journalists are now using as like a primary source even though it's literally third hand at least right but my point here in watching that final i think that the reason why serena is so staunch in her determination to bring it against maria every time is not because she doesn't want to ever lose to her again it's because she felt she never should have lost to her in the first place if you watch that 2004 final Whenever things are going bad for Serena, like she looks kind of pressed or whatever in the match. And it's like, oh my God, like I'm so annoyed. I'm, you know, running out of time. What's going on? You know, she really wasn't that pressed in that second set. She felt like she had time. And in that ultimate game where that penultimate game where she got broken for Maria to serve for the match at 6-1-5-4, Serena was at deuce after saving a bunch of break points. And she hit a big serve out wide to Sharapova's backhand, got the short ball, and then Serena stumbled on her way to the net, almost fell, and then swung the forehand out wide. And that gave Maria that final break point that she capitalized on. And I feel like Serena felt she was going to come back and win that match. And this whole business of I made you with Sloan, I feel like she feels the same way about Maria. That's my conjecture. And... In this case, I feel like she made her unnecessarily. That's what Serena feels. And that she's mad as hell about that. About having to go through all this for a decade, decade and a half, <laughs> because she didn't win that match that she should have won. Okay. I mean, I'm not I don't saying... know what Serena thinks. I mean, you don't, you don't approach matches the way that she does if you don't respect your opponent, though. What do you mean? Like, you can say, well, Serena wants so badly never to lose to Maria again, but there is a level of respect between them now. Serena prepares for every single match against them. Like, she knows the game plan. Even if it's not in one of her best seasons, like, she's there, and she's going to fight, and she's going to win. Like, she respects Sharapova as a competitor. I think she respects the stage of playing Maria more than Mm. she does Maria's game, necessarily. Because... Maria hasn't really given her anything to respect in the last decade and a half. Right, but as she far can as see on the court. Maria against other people. Sure, but she knows what's going to happen against her mm-hmm. in those matches. And so, yeah, Serena sure as hell is bringing her game for that stage, I think. All conjecture, let's right. move on. In that match, one Alexis Ohanian-Williams <laughs> was wearing a t-shirt under his jacket that had two letters visible, but folks did some sleuthing. Well, uh, all American kids between a certain age would know that that's the dare shirt. Mm-hmm. I, I knew that because 
when we were kids that program yeah. it's a drug prevention program in like elementary and high schools and the font is very very specific yeah 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 so of course as soon as that was i mean i didn't spot it until somebody pointed it out on twitter like showed a picture of it and of course people ran with that saying that was a petty dig at sharapova's drug suspension do i know if that's the case i have no idea uh it could be alexis was liking a few tweets that were sort of making fun of that whole situation so i think it was sort of a a winking yeah i know what i was doing kind of thing he sure as hell knew what he was doing you can't be coincidental in that situation (laughs) now was it petty most definitely absolutely what what i think maybe okay let me just be real here we need to stop coddling this 30 year old white woman like it's not bullying it's just not the truth is she served a suspension for a banned substance period and we on this podcast have tried to be very fair and accurate in the way that we talk about the suspension uh what meldonium is and what it's supposed to do and whether or not it even has performance enhancing qualities oh i think we've been fairly measured on it or have tried to but she doesn't need to be treated with kid gloves you know this isn't bullying it was it was petty but like that's it this is sports get over it yeah it was a t-shirt and she's a grown-up like they're all grown-ups here and the other thing is that then people are saying I can't believe Serena is so trashy to sort of condone this kind of behavior or at worst encourage it. Like, listen, your partner can do whatever they want to sort of take up for you. Like if some... You've told me many times if somebody was out of pocket with me, like you'd be putting on your hunting shoes. I'd be ready to fight. But like people stick up for their partners even when they know they're wrong. You know, that's just like the nature of relationships. So I think, you know, we can giggle and kind of move on from that. It's not that serious. Okay. Serena, at one point in press early in the tournament, she was asked a a specific question. Now, we've talked about leading into this tournament that there was always going to be some bullshit about the U.S. Open final last year. For better or worse, we'd already seen this in action ahead of the tournament with Chris Clary writing that piece about uh, Carlos Ramos not uh, officiating any of Serena's matches at this U.S. Open, Mm -hmm. as if it were news, really. As if that would ever happen. Right? This is not a case of Serena requesting that Ramos not ref her matches, not like when Rafa did with (laughs) Bernardes Mm -hmm. a couple years ago. Uh, She's just out here minding her own business. She's just out here minding her own business, trying to prepare for this tournament. People are drumming up this issue. Yeah, And so she gets asked about it in press, saying, well, you know, Ramos will not be officiating any of your matches at this tournament. Do you have any thoughts on that? And she says, I don't know who that is. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this response sent people into a tizzy. I mean, the, in particular, the male British journos, Mm -hmm. if we're being real here, thought that it was... I mean, we can name them if you want. (laughs) They saw this as their opportunity to be snide and cute and be, you know, writing all kinds of funny tweets on the internets. <laughs> or so they thought. Mm. It's disingenuous, is what it is. Nobody cares. They don't care. They're just trying to rile it. They're just trying to get engagement. They're trying to get clicks on their tweets. That's it. Literally. It's you could play Federer like, right here. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. No. Nobody cares. But the thing is, they don't even care. Like, yes you know like all each 
use of nobody yeah. cares represents one person <laughs> like or one I, group of people. I don't think that they are deeply offended by it. I think that they know that there is value in criticizing Serena because people get riled up. Mm-hmm. And their tweets will hop to the top of people's timelines. Be- they're hanging on to this morality aspect of it. Mm-hmm. That she's being so rude and disrespectful after she was so rude and disrespectful last year. Quite frankly, nobody's talking about the 2018 final anymore. I've heard such little talk about it. Quite frankly, much less than I expected. Definitely. And I will talk about this throughout the episode, but the news has been so full of of new players and stories of Americans breaking out and all this. There's been so much other stuff to talk about that Mm. that has really been under the radar. And that's where this has backfired for these people Mm. because they thought they were going to be breaking some news here. But people are otherwise occupied. (laughs) Right. And satisfiedly so. And also, can we just talk about the genius of I don't know who that is? Because clearly it is a nod to Mariah's I don't know her meme. Yeah, Mariah originated this Mm -hmm. meme back in 2003 when asked in a sequence overseas. She was asked about Beyonce and what she thought about Beyonce. And she was like, cool girl. She's really talented, da 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 And in the next breath, the presenter was like, Angelo? And without, before the O came out of the presenter's mouth, <laughs> Mariah's head was shaking left to right, east to west, her curls bouncing. And she said, I don't know her. With a smile, with a big smile. Yeah, now, that, Serena did not That say did this. not crack. Yep. <laughs> it was like, I don't know her. <laughs> smile keep going, yes, and next, and next ask about her again if you dare <laughs> which is the which is the whole purpose of this right right the i don't know her is designed to shut shit down right away like i'm not here for this mess it's it's also shady yes because you are communicating a lot with the i don't know this person mm-hmm. you're making a statement in that way but it is also in my mind serena was criticizing the question itself mm-hmm. was saying i reject the question why are we talking about it And I do not wish to talk about it further. Right. So, obviously, nobody dared to ask further. Because what's the follow-up question, right? If she says Carlos Ramos, if they say Carlos Ramos is not umpiring your things anymore, this this tournament, Mm -hmm. and she goes, I don't know who that is, then you then have to say, well, Carlos Ramos (laughs) is the umpire of your thing last year. And then she's like, okay. Which, obviously, she knows, so no one's going to do that. The annoying thing about all of that was just... Chris Clary was sort of banging this beat in the week up to leading up to the U.S. Open, and not a lot of people were even engaging. The thing is, of course, Ramos would never be assigned to a Williams match, probably ever again. What organization would ever create that situation again? Never. It doesn't take a request from the players to stop that from happening. If you're an an organizer, you're like, oh, God, no, that's a powder keg. What? It makes zero sense for your business. Right. And also umpires and players are supposed to have this, you know, it's supposed to be neutral. There's supposed to be impartiality. And that would be literally impossible in that situation. And that's not a dig at either of the people involved. But it's it's just impossible. There's too much history. It's the way it is. Right. And so for this question to be brought in a press conference, it's it's shit stirring at its finest, really. Like. You're entitled to ask that question, but are you really shocked that Serena is not willing to receive it well? What an- but what's the answer that you want? You want yeah. a quick- You probably got it. I don't know who that is. It's probably an answer that you, you'd accept because it's a quip. 
It's a good soundbite. What would have been sufficient for her in that moment, for her to say, well, you know, after everything that happened last year, you know, I think he really done did me wrong. So I think it's for the best. Next question, please. (laughs) (laughs) But but it's about this rudeness, right? It's it's about this policing of Serena's behavior and black women's behavior. We see time and time again, the way that like white people are allowed to express themselves in certain ways that black people just can't. Mm-hmm. And that's that on that. So what is this business of the person who you said we weren't allowed to mention on the podcast if he or she lost to a certain alt-right starlet? Listen, this will be the last time in the next six months that Joe Wilfred Sanga's name will be mentioned on this you podcast. You said five episodes. I said five episodes, but... Joe Wilfred Sanga held a two-set-to-love lead and allowed that to happen, allowed that to fester mm-hmm. at the U.S. Open. You don't have to tell me, but I am just going to say that what you're doing is called ex post facto. You can't change the law retroactively. Mm-hmm. And I'd like you to know that I'm happy for your knowledge. It's one of the reasons <laughs> I'm with you. I like that you read and know things, but I don't give a fuck. Wow. I am still inaugurating the Hall of Shame. Mm-mm. As I told you that I, I would walk off this podcast. Walk? Walk. You're going to finish walk it by yourself? Walk if you dare. <laughs> Mary had to do it. Fill airtime. <laughs> uh, the Hall of, Hall of Shame is being erected this episode. And Joe Wilfred Song is your first, uh, what's it, inauguree? Inductee. Inductee. Yes. He's going in. Wow. And I have a few words for him. Uh, so Tennis Sandgren is not in the Hall of Shame. But Joe Songa is. Can you can you make that make sense? And what he did was egregious. I don't know mm. what else to say to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd like to think that this was a one-off thing, but Joe has shown that he cannot be trusted to win matches that he should be winning. And I just want to let him know that in your case, Joe, and I'm sure you'd agree, there is no historical evidence to give comfort to the theory that you can reform your behavior. However, if there is a chance for you to clean up your act and demonstrate respect for the important tasks that you're given within Grand Slam tennis, such as beating and cleaning up the alt-right in the first round, then I'm willing to give that positive outcome a last chance. If, if, Mm -hmm. if. Are you using Bill Babcock's (laughs) words against him? (laughs) You know they weren't meant for him. (laughs) If Joe Sanga is able to pull something out of his hat and do something spectacular within the next six months, I will take him out of the Hall of Shame. But until then... This is... I feel so attacked right now on my own show. Like, seriously, what the fuck? That seems like ages ago. Sangren did win another match... And then yesterday, both he and Isner were booted from the tournament. Yes. Isner by Chilich. Chilich, who actually played pretty badly, but still beat John Isner. And Sangren by Schwartzman, who didn't have very much trouble with him at Chilich all. Chilich had one game where he had 15 double faults in one service game. 15, really? Isner I think had. you're confusing him with Yelena Ostapenko. Isner had 17 break points <laughs> in that one game and mm-hmm. couldn't get it done. Mm-hmm. It was the most spectacular spectacular display of futility from somebody who I wanted to be futile. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen very often. I feel like that is fake news, but... (laughs) Okay, 
let's talk about some of the awesome stuff that has happened in the first week of the final slam of the year. Two great stories. Uh, I, I mean, several American players who have really broken out at this tournament. One of whom is Taylor Townsend, who somehow is only 23 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, there's so much ahead of her still. But it, it feels like she's been out here forever because she was the top-ranked junior. And she's had she just had trouble crossing over onto the main tour and having these results consistently. She plays a lot of challengers. Yeah. She's unwilling to travel overseas for the most part to go through qualifying because she doesn't see it as financially wise. Mm. Which she was yeah. asked about it in press. And she said, like, listen, this is what works for me. Like, I'm not going to spend $3,000 on a plane ticket and be in Europe for three, four weeks doing challengers, not knowing if I'm going to make any money or mm-hmm. be able to recoup any of those losses because she doesn't have the big-time sponsors that other players do. Right. So hopefully that will change. And we know she doesn't have that USTA money behind no. her anymore. So sponsors, give her your coin so that we can see her play some mm. more red clay events. Yeah. And I think with with someone like Taylor, the inequities as far as wild cards go are very clear. I'm sure she has probably benefited a lot from being American, but compared to people like Jack Sock or Ryan Harrison, who, I mean, Ryan Harrison got wild cards for years. Mm-hmm. I'm just an incredible number of wild cards. The IMG for connection seasons. with the yes. Harrisons, not just him, but his yeah. brother. Christian Harrison has played way more tennis tournaments than he has any business playing yeah. in his career. Yeah. And now Ryan Harrison is out here getting wild cards into the commentary booth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am I'm sitting down listening to this this match the other night and I'm trying to figure out who is this person that sounds like Thomas Hayden Church and you said to me oh that's Ryan Harrison I'm like yeah. shut the fuck up his voice is really terrible but Taylor Taylor's one of the only servant volleyers out there she presents a very different look to players obviously in the second round she took on Simona Halep the Wimbledon champion, and Simona was just not really feeling it. I think she was befuddled for long stretches by the constant net rushing. It's just like it's too much. (laughs) It's so relentless, and it has to be so demoralizing that every time you look up, there she is. And you may pass her a lot. Like, you may pass her a ton of times, and she just keeps coming. Simona was criticized for not using the lob, really at all, which I was surprised about. I didn't really understand the tactics there at all. But she was trying to pass her consistently, but not lop her. Either way, I'm I'm here for it. So many times at these tournaments where we get a North American-centric feed, where the coverage is geared toward American fans and covering the American players, we're left with undesirables breaking through at these tournaments. <laughs> this tournament, we actually have two feel-good stories that we can get behind. Right. There's Taylor Townsend, and then there's Christy Ahn. And Christy Ahn, this is her first main draw Grand Slam victory. She's now in the fourth round. She's going to face Elise Mertens. She's 27 years old. We thought it was going to be a fairly easy first round for Svetlana Kuznetsova, well. coming off of her finals appearance in Cincinnati. <laughs> but then Christy takes her out in straight sets, I believe 7-5-6-2. So then Christy beat Kalinskaya and Yelena Ostapenko in the third round. Kalinskaya, the woman who beat Sloane Stevens in straight sets, looked mm-hmm. wonderful in that match. Yeah, absolutely. 
And then against Osipenkos, toward the end of the second set, Christy looked to have hyperextended her knee and got it all wrapped up and looked to be in pain and somehow made it through that match. She was aided by Ostapenko's just horrendous serving. I mean, these double faults are flying off the racket. In her second round match, she opened the match with a service game featuring seven double faults. And yes, she won that game. She won the game. She won that game. She and won that match. match in straight sets with one, I think it was one ace and 17 double faults. Yeah. I really expected Allison Risk to win that match, after, especially after beating Mubarutha, but it was not to be. Christy Ahn actually made her Grand Slam debut in 2008, 11 years ago. She lost in the first round to Safina in straight sets. And part of her story that's uh, fun, but also I'm sure not so fun for her, is the fact that her parents, her father in particular, is just kind of waiting and hoping for her to be done with tennis. <laughs> So that she can go get a corporate job. Right. Just, you know, be financially secure and stable. And rather than, like, chase this kind of pipe dream. Well, guess what? She's making over $200,000 this week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, she'll be able to sustain and support herself for a little while longer. Right. So Townsend is going to face Bianca Andreescu tomorrow. Or probably today when you're listening to this. It may already be over. On faces Mertens, both in the round of 16. The, you know, Townsend and Andreescu is a really, really difficult matchup for Taylor, but I, I think she has a chance. It's possible. The serve and volley can really mess a lot of people up, but Bianca is looking really fearsome at this event. I saw a stat that she hasn't lost a completed match since February or something like that. Yeah. Granted, I mean, she she's was, been out injured yeah. for a long time, but it seems that whenever she shows up, she wins <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Perhaps the biggest news this first week was yet another run by Coco Goff in a second consecutive slam following her run at Wimbledon. When was that now? Like two months ago? A month and a half ago? Mm. There's a lot to unpack here. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, I mean, there's no denying, like... This girl generates incredible interest and hype. She's such a star already. And there's so much to love about her game. And at the same time, you can see that she's still growing into her body. There's things about her game that need work. And she's 15 years old. Um, But yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. (laughs) (laughs) So she starts by playing Potapova in the first round. Struggles. In the first set, eventually finds her way through that, wins a tough three-set match against Timea Babos in the second round, and then the big blockbuster, third round, takes on world number one and number one seed, Naomi Osaka, and loses 6-3-6 love. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say I told you so, not you specifically, but I mentioned that there's no way Naomi's losing that, and people were like, oh, don't be so sure, Koga's going to win that. Like, no, there was no way. It was even going to be close, in my opinion. There's just... Naomi's game just has too much. And she's a number one player for a reason. The defending champion for a reason. (laughs) Right. Um, This match, I mean, is really like the most hyped match of the, the tournament so far. It's the highest rated match of the tournament so far. The only thing that will top that is if we get closer to a final... Where now with Novak out, we get a Fidel for the first time 
at the U.S. Open, mm-hmm. which is not going to happen, but it's po- theoretically possible. Mm-hmm. I'm, my point in saying that was that was how hyped it was. Yeah. That was the magnitude of what happened. And of course, we know that the match itself did not really live up to the hype. There were a lot of entertaining points. And dare I say that the Six Love set was closer than it sounds? Sure, you can say that. I think so. Because, you know, the games themselves weren't blowouts. And I did feel that there were times when Coco could have sort of rested the momentum a little bit. But Naomi was really just very solid in almost every aspect. She played a smart match. She knew where to attack Coco. Mm -hmm. The forehand is obviously her weaker spot. She served to the forehand a lot, especially on the deuce court. And I just want to take a moment to to laud Coco and the aspects of her game that I find exemplary, even at 15 years old. She has a world-class backhand already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Her serve, she goes for too much on the second serve. She uh, she needs to work that out when she, for when she's progressing through the ranks. Yeah, yeah. Because if she's serving well on her first serve and she's getting a lot of those in, it's potent. We saw her hit 119 miles an hour on the first serve, which at 15 mm. years old is crazy. Apparently she can hit up into the high 120s. She's done it in juniors already. Apparently. Yeah. So she's got the serious pop on the first serve, but she needs more variation on the second serve and to work on the forehand. That said, she can rally from the baseline with anybody. We saw that at Wimbledon, and it just so happened that in this match, she came up against somebody who was playing a tight game Mm -hmm. from the baseline as well, and had more firepower to send back her way. Right. I was impressed with Naomi in this match because it, it came off as just very professional, very extremely prepared, she, like you said, she knew the parts of Coco's game that were vulnerable. But also, I feel like Naomi has methodically added things to her game. These uh, these short-angled backhands cross-court that she was doing, which look very much like Serena Williams' backhands, obviously. But I don't remember seeing that very much in Naomi's game before. I think, you know, she worked on her movement so much over last year and until it was no longer a liability these short angled cross court backhands now being able to make the court seem a lot longer than it is when someone is rallying from the baseline and you could just end the point by hitting this crisp angle it's like she's a, a beta version of herself like she's working in all of these improvements to her game that it's kind of scary well she's super young mm-hmm. she clearly has not reached the peak of her powers What's more instructive for me about Naomi as far as her ceiling is looking at what she still doesn't do very well. And she is still a fish out of water at net. Sure. Like, it can be pretty bad for her at net. (laughs) If she were to ever get that up to like 75%, watch out. Mm. Now, something we want to wade into here is a little bit of a pushback against the building fervor for golf, the the swell of anticipation and hype and elevating her in the public's eye that we've seen Mm -hmm. because she's still 15 years old. And one of the ways that that's manifested itself in this first week is the ESPN crew right off the bat having this debate about 
the age eligibility rule? How and why were we even there? Mm. And so some people were saying, oh, yes, I think we should waive it in her case because it's such a unique situation. Uh, <laughs> the The fact that there was even a debate on television made me very uncomfortable because the WTA has enacted this rule. It's been on the books for over 20 years, and it was developed through consultation with psychologists, with with sports medicine physicians, with people who are experts in human anatomy and child development. They didn't come up with the desire to implement this rule out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. It was born out of cautionary tales. And this is something we talked about after Wimbledon, when Coco had her first run, that there have been a litany of child prodigies who've burnt out in tennis and or who've had people exploit them and take advantage of them. Mm -hmm. And one of the most idiotic things that we've seen (laughs) this first week was folks saying Anika Noni Rose, Laurel being one of them, (laughs) saying, well, uh, double standard, uh, Tracy Austin won the US Open at 16. Like, Coco can clearly win this tournament. So like, what are y'all talking about? So there is so much wrong there. First of all, nobody's saying that Coco can't or shouldn't win this tournament. She's here to play. It's one of the tournaments (laughs) that she's allowed to play as a 15-year-old. She's here. Yes. If she wins it, good for her. The other thing is Tracy Austin won the U.S. Open in 1979. Her career basically ended by her 21st birthday because of back injuries. I don't know the cause and effect there, but a lot of these young prodigies had short careers because of debilitating injuries, burnout. I mean, Martina Hingis had those foot problems in the early 2000s when she was still a young 20-something. Top two player, what? Top three? Like, she was very young, even though she had been on tour for a long time. There's the physical demands of being a top tennis player. Compare that to 1979 to now, the game is infinitely more physical. There's that. There's a reason why we haven't seen child prodigies, teenagers win slams on the WTA Tour in the last 20 years. It's not for nothing. The reason for that is the game has changed. It's that much more physical. So there's that. There's, uh, historically, there have been family members who have pushed these young players too much, who've taken advantage of them, who've abused them. People push back and say, well, Coco's parents are cool. They're good. They have our best interest right, at no, heart. Like, nobody is saying that they're not, you know? <laughs> not only is nobody saying that they're not, but also we don't know her parents. Like, how are you in a position to oh, vouch for them? Exactly. So this Like, is I why... could sit here and say that, yeah, they seem like they're doing an outstanding job, but I don't know them. This is why, like, these rules are not enacted on a case-by-case basis. And Coco would be a prime example of where this rule needs to exist because there is so much incentive for people around her to take advantage. Mm-hmm. Again, not casting aspersions on her family or her team. We don't know them. It's not about that. It's about any young player who has the potential to make incredible amounts of money. There is incentive to have this person work a lot. You factor in that in this day and age of heightened media scrutiny of social media, where the spotlight will be that much more intense than when, say, Tracy Austin had to go through it. Mm-hmm. It's, in some, 
a lot and way too much. Like, it's all well and good for Coco to be out here jumping up on her bed after winning a couple matches at Wimbledon, just fangirling over the people who are interacting with her and the people who she's getting to meet. That's wonderful. But she suffers a couple losses and those haters, those betters, those trolls, they will be there. What is the psychological effect of that Mm. on a 15-year-old? There is so much at play here that's untold and unknown that it's absolutely irresponsible to be trying to make this young girl an exception to this much-needed rule. Right. And who are the people pushing for the rule to be relaxed? Exactly. Is it the presenters on ESPN who... Some of whom, because of all of these myriad conflicts, have a financial stake in player successes. Uh Uh-huh. Who work for a company who's now telling us that their first week ratings are up 33% over last year. Mm. And what's the reason for that? I don't know. Well, she is a big part Maybe three night sessions with Coco Goff. Mm. Maybe that has something to do with right. it. And so again, like, and nobody is saying that 15-year-olds can't play. It's limiting the amount of time that they mm. have to be at work, basically. Because in other industries, children who work are under very severe restrictions. Like, look at TV and film yeah. in the U.S., you know. She's still able to play tournaments. She can play nine as a minimum nine up to, what, 12 as a 15-year-old? And then... 14, I think. Yeah, but they're like... Oh, because she achieved certain things. She Yeah. There are certain, like, kickers that would have to happen for mm. that. It's not that she can just right. enter any blank you 14. You, like, unlock yes, the next level. their levels. Then she'll be able to play more when she's 16. I feel like it's totally reasonable. Yeah, totally I, don't, I don't like the the kind of like strike while the iron is hot because she's talented, but she's young and the talent is not going to disappear. The risk is really overworking someone's body when they're too young. Not that the opportunities are going to disappear if you don't take them now. They're still going to be there in a year. Coco Goff is a budding cash cow for a lot of people, a lot of companies, a lot of businesses, a lot of academies. There's so much money to be made off of her that for that to happen doesn't necessarily gel with her best interest. And so when this push is being made to have her play more tournaments against the the advice of this rule, it doesn't sit well with me. So then she lost the match and then the net exchange happened with Naomi. Mm-hmm. Walk me through that quickly. So Naomi and Coco hugged at the net and it looked like they were having a little conversation. And then as they went to their opposite sides, Naomi came over to Coco's chair and continued the conversation. And I was like, I think Naomi is going to ask her to stay on court. And we couldn't really make out what was being said on TV, but that's exactly what she said. She wanted Coco to stay on court. Very interesting moment. I don't think we've ever seen anything like that in tennis aside from the finals. And so Mary Jo Fernandez handled it quite well because it was a pretty unusual thing. Coco said a few words. She said she, you know, she said no to Naomi originally because she was afraid of crying through it. And she handled herself well. I mean, I don't know how a 15-year-old is supposed to handle that moment. It it almost seems weird to to evaluate it, Mm -hmm. you know. But um, it was... And Naomi is just a unique person. 
And a lot of people will say that was very calculated and she was trying to get her the crowd on her side and make herself look better. And the little that I know about Naomi, that doesn't that doesn't ring true to me. It felt more organic than that. Yeah, those uh, those people and those thoughts can get in the bin as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. There's an argument to be made that once Coco said that she didn't want to do that, then it should have been over. I absolutely sure. get that. Yeah, I get that. Because I'm coming from a place where I do believe that Naomi was being genuine, that I, I won't hold her responsible for that. Because like mm. I, I feel like she felt she was doing a genuine thing and something that was good. Right. But it, it created a, a kind of a weird situation. It was, yeah, it was a little weird, but it was also very emotional. Mm-hmm. I felt really almost protective of Coco. And I have felt that a few times this week, which makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Because it's somebody I don't know. But I just want her to be okay, you know? Um, And Naomi got emotional as well. But there was something very moving about seeing a young black woman point to another young black woman and lift her up beside her. And I really felt that what Naomi was doing was meant to be supportive. It was meant to be celebratory of what Mm -hmm. Coco has accomplished. And it was also, you know, looking at this other family this other black family they grew up alongside each other in florida and say like we came from kind of the same place and we're both doing great things and that's really cool so i thought that that aspect of it was very powerful also naomi while she didn't go through what coco is going through now she had a lot of eyes on her as a young person and has gone through a lot as a young slam champion in the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. She she has seen the pitfalls. She knows what can go right and wrong and some of the things that Coco will now have to deal with. And so that protective element was, it's strange to see that from somebody who is so young but is able to act in a mothering kind of way because <laughs> right. of it. Right. There is a specter of race with this whole thing too because... You have those two families referenced in that situation where Naomi's talking about her family and growing up with the Goff family. But what's unspoken is that they're both black families. And the template for this is the Williams family. Mm -hmm. And they were the ones who blazed a path for their families to exist and have this moment. Right? They're the ones who are now the template for how to do things how not to do things. Mm-hmm. You can look at Richard and say, well, I'm not going to go that route in promoting my child. You know, I'm going to be a little bit more temperate maybe, but I am going to take from him and be that protective of my child mm-hmm. because they, at the end of the day, are a young woman of color growing up in this still lily white world. Less so now in the mm-hmm. last 10 years, but there are things that they're going to have to go through that other young women in tennis won't have to do. And so there's this lineage. There's this black lineage in tennis now that is, it's kind of a beautiful thing to see. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, it started with Althea and it's flowed through Zena Garrison and Lori McNeil, Leslie Allen. Chanda Rubin. All of these women who in their own ways like blaze the trails and then through the Williams, obviously, because they don't want to give Serena and Venus the only credit no um but 
now you you know you look at u.s women's tennis and who do you see like who are the big stars sloan madison and naomi is not u.s tennis but she grew up in the u.s it's it's crazy like the demographic shift is amazing mm-hmm. to watch in real real uh in real time howard bryant had this thread on the whole incident and it was instructive and i encourage people to read it and one of the things that he touched on was people parsing and analyzing the Goff family's behavior and response when Pam Shriver brings them up on screen Mm. afterward. And it becomes a strange situation because that's clearly not something they wanted for themselves in that moment. Right, or were prepared to deal with. But then they're now subject to criticisms and critiques of how they handled that situation. Mm. And again... We've we've lived through how people critiqued the way Richard Williams in particular handled his daughter's initiations into tennis. We should be very hesitant to criticize them and say flippant, casual things like, well, oh, uh, I, I don't like the way he said that or whatever. They're, or they should have been more grateful or whatever. Like maybe they didn't want that for her. Yeah. And maybe they were just concerned with going to find their daughter and comforting Making her. sure she was okay. You know? And uh, maybe they don't want the spotlight the way Richard may have wanted the spotlight. Or Patrick Maradoglu wants Pam exactly. to come over. So there's that. Whenever there's a black athlete in sport, and whenever there's a black tennis player, race necessarily has to be part of the discussion. Okay, so moving on to some less stellar news. Carlos Suarez Navarro, surprisingly, was popped for the first round performance rule. The previous victims were Anna Tadishvili, Bernard Tomic at uh, Roland Garros in Wimbledon, now U.S. Open. Carlos Suarez was fined, what, $40,000, which is the first round prize money, because they said she was injured, she shouldn't have played, she shouldn't have entered, basically. And this has shocked people, because Carla is known universally as a professional, as a competitor, as kind of a really, like, stand-up gal. And she has gotten a lot of support from kind of the tennis community who are shocked. She has already officially appealed it. So we will wait to see if she gets the Tadishvili treatment or the Tomic treatment. But she says, you know, I've been dealing with these back problems. We prepared so cautiously. She came to New York 10 days early to prepare her back, doing all these preventative exercises. And she just couldn't compete when it came down to it in the match. Nick Kyrgios had an eventful first week at the U.S. Open. He's no longer in the tournament because Andre Rublev took him out. Mm-hmm. He uh, got himself into a lot of trouble when, after one of his wins, he casually said that the ATP tour was corrupt. <laughs> and, oh my lord, people were upset. Those people in power were saying, well, if they weren't going to suspend him before, they certainly are now. And like, oh God, that sounds really bad, doesn't it? Like if his behavior in Cincinnati didn't rise to that level, you're going to suspend him because he said something bad about the tour? That's, ugh. If you're trying to prove that you are not corrupt, that's not the best way to do it. He did retract because I'm sure he, the ATP probably called him and was like, listen, you need to deal with this now. So he issued this apology on the, the iPhone Notes app. He apologized. He said it's not exactly what he meant. And that he knows he has a lot of problems, but basically a lot of other people have problems too. 
It was like the weakest apology. And that corrupt was not the word he meant to yes. use. What he meant is that other people get away with worse. So what about them? And this is the thing you see him harping on over and over. It's just so tiresome at this point. You yeah. know, because you know he's talking about Rafa's time violations. This time, like he is so fixated on the time violations. So there's that. Rublev took him out seven six seven six, and then what, like six three or something in the third set. I told you that men's third quarter was going to be wild, and it, the Kyrgios Tsitsipas match never happened because um, oh, because Rublev took out Tsitsipas in the first round, has now beaten Kyrgios, and will face Berrettini in the fourth round. That is an amazing opportunity to get to the semis between Rublev, Berrettini, Mofiz, and Pablo Andujar, who is also a total shock. Well, Berrettini gets an opportunity to atone for his atrocious match against Federer at Wimbledon. <laughs> like, it's one of the worst matches you'll ever see in your lifetime. Yeah. I don't think yeah. I'll ever get over it or forget it. <laughs> that is so rude. It's so true. Like, he should have been fined 50% of his match fee. <laughs> wow. Wow. Mofiz Shapovalov, I should point out, it was one of the most exciting matches of the first week of the tournament. For for long stretches, Shapovalov was totally in the zone and seemed like nobody could beat him at that moment. It was a reminder of why everybody was so high in his talent for mm-hmm. so long. Yeah. Because he'd been MIA for much of this year, and he seemed to have been finding his form again in the last few weeks, and he showed out. And this is ab- after totally destroying Felix Auger-Aliassime in the first round. That was not even close. Wow. Oh, yeah, that was bad. But Mofis and the other member of Gem's Life, Alina Svitolina, are both looking really good. Svitolina beat Madison today pretty easily, actually. Madison made just a whole hell of a lot of errors. The return was bad. Svitolina's serving was very, very good. She lost only 12 points on serve, I think. Uh, but a lot of that had to do with Madison's return was just way mm-hmm. off. I I think maybe she was ill in her match against Kennan and still won, but she was feeling very nauseous. I wonder if there were some lingering effects because it just, she didn't look like she has been. This is the point of the episode, and it seems that we have at least one every episode now, mm-hmm. where I... <laughs> Tell you that you're being a bit tangential. Oh, because I'm actually talking about tennis? <laughs> no, because we were talking about the men's third quarter, which a natural segue was, if we are to then mm-hmm. deal with what's happening now, would be to deal with the men in total and then do with the woman. So... I think our listeners can keep up. I think you don't underestimate them. Be that as it may, mm-hmm. we are going to go back to the men. And so as it stands, fourth round matches... Tomorrow, Monday, when you'll likely be listening to this show, Rublev will be playing Berrettini, like you said. Mofis against Andujar. Incredible opportunity for Mofis to make a semifinal there. And then Zverev, who somehow is still in this tournament. <laughs> Zverev has sort of been hobbling through these matches. It's it's wild. <laughs> playing two unnecessary five-set matches. Uh, beat Berene in four. Things did not look good for quite a, a lot of that match. He plays Schwartzman in the fourth round. And uh, the winner of that match will play the winner of Marin Cilic and Nadal. Mm-hmm. Nadal taking out Hyung Chung in straight sets. Good to see him back on tour playing well. And uh, Cilic, who we talked earlier in the show, he took out Isner. Yeah, Cilic has been looking less than impressive. But hey, he's in a fourth round again. Let me tell you, all those double falls against Nadal is not going to cut it. No. 
as we were we were on like a little intermission break earlier and i i was reading that apparently Djokovic got booed as he left the court today we were watching it on mute while we were recording so we didn't see that or hear that uh so that's it's not great it's less than stellar. It's, Some would call it trash it behavior. It is trashy behavior, New York. I mean, what do you think this is? Paris? Like, everybody calm down. I mean... That is just wild that you would boo a player who retired with an injury. Well, at least we are able to definitively identify them as boos and not oos. Oh, my girl. Don't... Do not even get me started because I'm in the mood to name names today. <laughs> Certain journalists were trying to rile up the fiction that New York has a problem with Naomi Osaka by saying that when Coco was told your next opponent is Naomi Osaka, the co- the crowd like gasped, like ooh, and she's like, they the New York crowd just booed Naomi Osaka. So like, we know it's a female oh, journalist now. I, <laughs> he or she, but several. Several journalists were circulating that fiction and building on top of it. And you know what? That needed to be shut down right away. And luckily, myself and a lot of other people were like, don't start this. Let's not go down that oh, road. So you want to pat on that's, the back. That's not what happened. No, I'm just saying. That was really annoying. Because that's the kind of stuff that riles people up and makes them turn on innocence. Oh. Anyway, you said we were talking about the men's. Yes. So, Warenka will play Medvedev. Medvedev, mm-hmm. sorry. And Federer will play Grigor Dimitrov. That's a feel-good story, isn't it? Yes. Grigor wearing the hell out of the Nike purple and black kit yeah. with his headband. He looks good. Looks great. He's playing good tennis for uh, maybe the first time this year. Look, the headband is genius. It's strategic. It mm-hmm. covers certain diminishing aspects of his hairline. <laughs> and he wears it well. And it complements his kit. Yeah. Like, he is still a very good-looking dude. Yes. Ridiculous. Just gifted. Uh, he benefited from Borna Chorich giving him a walkover, but he beat Seppi in the first round, and then today he beat Alex Dimenauer, which is a huge win. In straight sets. Yeah. is huge for Grigor this year because it's just it has not been happening for him. Mm-hmm. But he seems happy off-court. He's been hanging with Team Williams a lot. Yeah, what's up with that? Serena is now making fun of him on social media, which you know, like you're part of the team when that starts to happen. They were, they've hit together a lot Mm -hmm. in recent times. And then they were in the relaxing room, the relaxation room, the quiet room (laughs) or whatever it's called. And Grigor had Chip on his lap. Yeah. Also, he didn't know that he was being filmed, which is such a Serena thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I mean, listen... Serena keeps her exes close. We know this. Oh, my God. I was just talking to someone saying Alexis must be a very secure guy. That was me. Oh, I was telling someone else then, too. <laughs> I know other people than, you know, people other than you. Um, but, you know, there's two two confirmed exes who are very in the very close circle now. One of whom is her coach. Yeah, Maratiklu, who then went and got and found another black woman to marry. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, you're... Okay, we're going there. Do with that as you will. Okay. Um, Daniil Medvedev is is having quite a week. Yes, Medvedev is behaving like trash. <laughs> He's behaving like a, like a cartoon villain or like a comic book no, villain. No, but this is the thing. It got me thinking. Being a villain in tennis is good. 
like it i get the desire to have a villain mm-hmm. and somebody who can drum up interest and get people to watch the sport and i think i touched on this on the preview episode that medvedev was kind of filling that role mm-hmm. and uh you didn't want me to go into the whole well the russian part of it being on u.s oh, soil and sure, whatever but sure. like look he's on court now being it's like he's a fictional character in glow no exactly he's, he's like, like the, the soviet, Russian, the soviet the... like character in glow that's yeah. that's who he is mm. so i was ahead of the time with my statements <laughs> thank you yeah but what i want to know is why can't we have somebody fill this role and do it well without also being a problematic asshole well is I it mean, because he's a man and those have... two are just enmeshed well, I mean, don't you kind of have to be an asshole to be a villain or else it, just, well, oh, no, 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 it will no. ring false? Listen, there was a qualifier. I said problematic asshole. Oh. <laughs> well, he is that. Yeah. Yeah. So these things are like building on on each other now. In 2016, he was disqualified from the challenger in Savannah by making uh, a comment under his breath about the black female umpire and Donald Young. He said, I know that you are friends. I'm sure about it. He was disqualified immediately. The ump said default Medvedev unsportsmanlike conduct. And the tournament referee came out and backed her up. So he was kicked out of the challenger. That was the first weird thing with him. In 2017 at Wimbledon, he was pissed off about a call by Mariana Alves, the chair umpire. And after the match, he went over to his wallet, grabbed some coins and threw them at the chair. I suppose to imply corruption or something unseemly. And he was fined $14,500 for the entire match. I think the actual coin throwing was worth $7,500. He's out here having disgusting interactions with ball kids. Oh, oh God. Okay. So in the match, third round match against Lopez, this is where the villain really started to come out. He's racked up a lot of fines this week, actually. But he snatched the towel away from one of the ball kids or people or some of these ball kids look like they're 30 something but it doesn't matter how old this person was he snatched the towel and made some comment and the the ball kid looked at him like what and he was given a code violation for that but in my opinion like this shit needs to be game penalty default done this is one of the worst things you can do on a tennis court i think is abuse or harass or disrespect the volunteers or the people who work on court the ball kids especially like i don't care how old they are they are human beings who have volunteered their time to work on a tennis court and they are vulnerable you are the star you're the person with the power in the situation they're at your whim it's also not difficult to do i don't care what anybody wants to tell you you don't even have to say thank you for what they do you just have to be vaguely decent as a human being yeah like that's it it's so simple also they shouldn't be carrying around your nasty old towel and this is the fault of tennis in general the leadership thinks that's just one more thing that's going to slow down the sport because that is the worst thing that can happen to tennis is one more second between a point so anyway there were a few you know admonishments from the umpire during the match he acted a damn fool throughout it and then he was showered with booze, lifted up his arms, and basically said, when you go to sleep at night, know that your booze have powered me to this win. 
And this is why I'm saying it's cartoonish because it's so ridiculous. Like he's leaning so hard into the villain thing. I'm just failing to find the charisma in it because I know that only a certain type of person is allowed to be this villain. First yeah. of all, no, no woman, period, of any race, nationality, language, or anything would be allowed to be that person. Putin save uh, people find amusing, but she's not a star. She's not top no. ten. She's not going to be on that stage. You know, it's it's not going to be taken that way. Serena fans have kind of become like the police, like the FBI over the past year because we're always looking for violations from other players. Like we're all, we're the snitches now, right? But I want to know what would happen if a black female player behaved that way. Doesn't even have to be a black female no, player. I think no. you can take race out of it altogether mm. in this situation. It really is the ways in which men are allowed to occupy space and act a fool and do whatever they want and people find it amusing. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the thing. Like, it's something to celebrate. I don't know. Maybe I always thought it's because I'm not really a sports fan. I like tennis and that's pretty much it. So I don't really, I don't like that stuff. I don't like the trash talking in sports. All those sort of accoutrements of sports fandom, I'm not really that into because I only watch tennis. So maybe maybe it's just me. But it's an maybe all, I'm it's, humorless. But it's also all facets of life and we're wired to feel this way if something in the same vein were to happen outside of sport in regular mm -hmm. life. When men get away with shit that other people wouldn't be able to do just because we do not accept that. That's where we come to this from. Right. But what was made very clear this week is that there's all this talk about how we need characters in tennis. Patrick Muradoglu himself is talking about this all the time, that Nick Kyrgios is something that tennis needs. I mean, tennis is doing pretty okay with Roger, Rafa, Novak leading it. The problem is that you don't have those guys in the next generation. It's not that you don't have personality. But what is very clear is that what people are talking about is women's tennis this week. They're talking about Coco Goff and Naomi Osaka and Bianca Andreescu and Serena Williams. You know, Serena's not even the top story. The conversation about what is good for tennis has already been answered. You don't need someone like Nick Kyrgios spitting at an umpire to be good for tennis. That was made crystal clear to me this week. I mean, I already knew that, but it's like, oh, wow, th this moment between Coco and Naomi has become a cultural moment. And let's be clear, when they say we need an injection of life into tennis, what they mean is men's tennis, because they don't give a fuck about women's well, yeah. tennis. But also, like, so maybe one of these young guys should win something. Or also, <laughs> maybe you should change your value system in sport and start valuing women's sport more, investing in women's youth sport more, and uh, reworking the biases that you have as to what makes sport worth watching. Mm -hmm. Now, moving forward, I am anxiously awaiting Stuart Fraser's take on Medvedev and uh, how classless he is. Do you think that'll be coming soon? Hmm. Would it Mark Petchy? Anyone? Anyone out there? Maybe we can uh, have somebody go courtside and uh, get Jonathan Pinfield's take on it. Stop. From the next Alexander Zverev match. I'm shocked there will be a next Alexander Zverev match. <laughs> We had a whole segment here planned about Althea Gibson. We will leave that for the next episode mm. because it's running a bit too long. A few etceteras before we wrap this show. Venus and Vika have been voted off the WTA Players Council. Did we cover this on the last episode? 
or no? No, we didn't? No, no. This is interesting, right? Because Venus was just talking about this in press in Cincinnati, saying that, you know, if the players respect me and what I do and what I bring to the table, they'll reelect me, and that's that. And they, the players chose not to. Instead, Sloan and Madison were elected. Where Venus and Vika were in the 1 through 20 ranking spots, there's mm. four spots, Sloan and Madison will be joining that group. Maybe it's just like a, a youth movement thing. So the other two players at that level are Joanna Conta and Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova. Safajeva and Maddox Sands are going to be leaving the uh, the council as well, and they're going to be replaced by Donna Vekic and uh, Krunic. And otherwise, it's staying how it is. Because those other players weren't up for election yet. I think that there will mm. be more elections next year, okay. from what I gather. So Venus and Vika will still be on it for the rest of 2019, but starting in 2020, it'll be a shakeup. Monica Puig spoke a little more about the split with Kamal Murray. I actually had a friend translate it because it was a Spanish interview. So she said that, quote, I found out thanks to people close to me that supposedly my coach was not available to come to the U.S. Open five days before the tournament. I found out that he was secretly working with another player and stuff like that influenced my mentality and training. Secretly working with another player. So it there are some more wrinkles to this. Mm. She was pretty honest about it that she alleges that Kamau didn't even tell her personally that he weren't he wasn't coming she found out through somebody else and that he was basically conspiring with Sloan to to get back together which obviously there had to be conversations in advance and the switch was so quick so those conversations were probably happening during Cincinnati possibly do we trust the source well it was an audio recording okay yeah all right well, there so you I, have it. I just have to trust my translator. <laughs> <laughs> I said we had a few etceteras, but we have to still talk about what's left on the women's draw. That is certainly not an etcetera situation. On the top half, Naomi Osaka plays Belinda Bentich tomorrow for a space in the quarterfinals. Donna Vekic, who I had making the semis, just putting that out there. She is going to play Yulia Gerges. Ta- Taylor Townsend plays Bianca Andreescu. And Christy Ahn plays Elise Mertens. Those are your eight from the top half. Anything you want to add on that? Anything you're looking forward to there? Not really. I think what we're likely headed toward is a Naomi Bianca semifinal. Probably, yeah. On the bottom half, Svitolina took out Madison Keys today, which quite frankly surprised me. I, if you recall, had stated on the preview episode that Nobody was out here hyping up Madison Keys. And then I started to hype up Madison Keys in my head because (laughs) I'd actually watched her play her first three rounds on the back of her winning Cincinnati. And I was, I'd convinced myself like, wow, this is a different Madison. She was ill in her third round match against Sonia Kennan and still managed to, to finish that out. And what impressed me most was how much margin for error she was giving herself in these matches. ESPN did a graphic showing you where she was hitting her ground strokes and she was so far within the lines. Mm. And she allowed her power to do the work. Because if you get into a rally, an extended rally with Madison where she's pounding that ball, even if she's well within the lines, but if you're rallying with her for eight to 10 shots in that zone, you're going to be getting pushed back and back and back to the point where it's it's not tenable for you to sustain. 
And so I thought something had clicked for her, but apparently not. I had I'd convinced myself that the four favorites for this woman's title were Andreescu, Osaka, Madison, and Serena, and that was likely to be the semifinal situation. Instead, Svitolina will play Joe Conta, who beat Karolina Pliskova today, and Serena Williams will play Wang Chung in the quarterfinals. Can we just pause for a moment and say that Conta has gone semi-quarter-quarter quarter in the last three majors? Yeah. Even though her compatriots think she has a mental problem? Her compatriots, such as? Journalists. Oh, okay. Oh, I mean, you're referencing that buffoon? <laughs> yes. What I will say is that Kanta has absolutely emerged as a can-I-speak-to-your-manager type character. Oh, most definitely. Yes. And it's not a good matchup with Svitolina. Svitolina has a winning record against Kanta. Against anyone else, I would say Kanta's in really good form and would probably get through, but I don't know. Svitolina looks so tough right now. She has this reputation of being a pusher, and folks hate to see it. But she's also hitting with a lot more power, I think. She's hitting some big first serves. I don't know. It could she be is. tricky. There's yes. something magic about Jem's life happening at the moment. <laughs> it's They're pushing each other on to bigger heights. Her serve is much improved. But look, in the match against Madison, she hit 10 winners the whole match. I mean, 10 winners, 13 errors. Like, she just didn't really dictate. She All she needed to do was keep the ball in play for a few shots, and Madison made an error. Okay. Ash Barty lost today to Wang Chung. It was Man, kind Ash of a case bad. of putting her out of her hardcourt misery, because we saw her struggle in Cincinnati, and we kind of looked at it as a glass-half-full situation, when we were thinking, well, wow, she doesn't have her best stuff, but she's still finding a way. She really is a top player now. Mm. But, Lord, it did not look yeah. good today. She did play doubles later the previous night, so she may have just been wiped. But she, I mean, just, it was very bad. It hasn't been cute for a while. (laughs) No, but this was especially not. Okay. Uh, A few of the upsets that happened earlier on in the tournament, of note on the women's side, you have to say that Putin Seva beating Sabalenka in the second round is not cute for her. (laughs) And we've learned since from Arena that she and Dmitry Tursunov have split. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's amicable, apparently, because they both had wonderful things to say to each other. I want to big up Caroline Wozniacki because she tried her ass off in her loss to Andreescu. And she seems to be struggling. How can you not have empathy for a person when they're going Mm. through something like that? Petra Kvitova losing to Petkovic, who now leads the head-to-head like 6-4 or something like that. (laughs) That is is a head-to-head that you just do not expect. Petra herself coming off some injury issues. I was surprised that Gerges like pounded Kiki Burton's in yeah. the third round. Yeah. I mean, we know if Gerges is on, Gerges is on. She mm. hits the ball so clean, but maybe Kiki's a little bit tired. You like, you love to talk about how much she plays. <laughs> I thought that was going to be your natural segue. No, no. Sloane Stevens, oi. Gervais. What? <laughs> Let's not even go there. Wow. What a... Um, bad moment that was Muguruza losing in the first round that was always an upset alert to Allison Risk Mm -hmm. unlike the men the women didn't really have that many shocking upsets the other one that was an upset that at this point is it really that big of an upset Kiki Mladenovic beating Angie Kerber but wow it was a bad loss and what's become clear to me now is that there's a playbook on how to beat Angie 
So many times Kiki would hit the return high off the backhand and get herself back into the point. And even within rally shots, she would push Kerber back with a looping ball and then hit a flat shot to follow up. And it's something that we saw Andreescu use against Kerber in back-to-back weeks mm-hmm. <laughs> earlier in the year. And it's something that Kiki used this week. And when when that's not going well for Angie, she looks so ordinary, sadly. And I, I hope that she's able to write that ship soon. Okay, so I think we've come to the end. Except to say that Andy Murray played in Mallorca and at, at lost. At the Rafa Nadal Open. Correct. Well, he won two matches. Well, yes. He lost to Matteo... Viola. Viola. Ranked number 240. And said it's really just a matter of fitness right now. Which makes sense. Mm-hmm. He has a metal hip. <laughs> and he's been out of tennis for a while. Like, mm. it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some work. Thanks for listening. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR, two L's, two T's. And the body serve is on Instagram and Twitter at the body serve and Spotify and a bunch of other places. So hit us up with a review. We love those till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.